Welcome to you in this, our fourth study in the Holy Spirit series. And today we're looking at the person of the Holy Spirit. And we want to explore how the Holy Spirit is a real being that we've got to interact with, communicate with, but cultivate a relationship with also. And when we talk about the Holy Spirit series, we can fall into the error of kind of thinking of the Holy Spirit as a subject in the syllabus of the curriculum of Christianity. Um, as if you can do all the classes and you know enough to be designated Christian. It's not like that at all. Christianity is not primarily conceptual, it is relational. Ultimately, what true Christianity is, is an encounter with God. And I fear that we've become rather cerebral in the church rather than experiential. Too much head, too little heart. God is not a brain. God has a mind. There's the mind of God spoken of in Scripture. There's the mind of Christ, the mind of the Spirit. And God has a mind and he commands us to love him with all our minds. But he has described himself as Spirit. John 4, 24, Jesus said, God is spirit and we must worship him in spirit and truth. Now we're not advocating mindless Christianity where you leave your brain at the door and come in and anything goes. On the contrary, and yet we've got to recognize that God is spirit. And in essence, Christianity is a relationship with the Godhead, but it is facilitated by the Holy Spirit interacting with our spirits. And the one member of the Trinity that we are to have direct personal dealings with in this particular age, is the Holy Spirit. He is God on the earth. Think about that. Uh, yeah, for some, the Holy Spirit is only a concept, a cradle statement, and he is ignored as a living person. Someone said, we often in evangelical circles worship the Trinity of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Scriptures. He has been described as the Cinderella of theology, the neglected one, the Godhead. And yet the other extreme perhaps is those who talk a lot about the Holy Spirit and yet don't relate to him as a living person, but rather some kind of force or energy. Now there are a few places in our English translations where the neuter gender is used, it, for the Holy Spirit. But mostly the Holy Spirit is referred to in the personal pronoun, he, not it. And that's the way we should refer to him. But some who celebrate the Holy Spirit and his gifts often have a utilitarian approach to him. That simply means we use him for whatever we can get out of him. We only value him for what he does for us. Treat him like a utility. And yet he is a person who must be respected, reverenced as a divine being. And uh, he exhibits in scripture the characteristics of personality. Let me share a few with you. He's intelligence knowledge, wisdom, sympathy. He speaks, he rejoices, he loves, he whispers, guides, convinces, searches out, he knows, he teaches, he reveals, he gives gifts. Ephesians 4.30, and we touched on this last time, says that he even hurts, he grieves, he's offended, vexed, saddened. And Hebrews 10.29 says that he can also be insulted. And so this is why we can have a relationship with the Holy Spirit because he's a person. 
That's why scripture talks about the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. So you can wake up in the morning and say, good morning, Holy Spirit. What adventures are there for us to explore today? You can put your head on the pillow at night and say, good night, Holy Spirit, and thank him for the blessings of the day. So I'm asking you in this uh, episode, do you have a relationship with the Holy Spirit? Do you have a companionship, a friendship with him? And it should be, like any other relationship, ongoing, developing and maturing. So let's look for a few moments, and we'll be using a lot of Bible, at what Jesus said you will discover about the Holy Spirit as a person. First of all, John 14, uh, verse 16 to 18 reads, And I will pray the Father, Jesus said, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever, the world... The Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you, and he will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. Jesus tells us he's sending another of the same kind. He's God, but he's another person, and he will be an encourager or strengthener. Some translations say comforter, and that's a okay translation, although the English word comfort has lost lost its meaning somewhat down through the years. We kind of think of comfort as a pat on the back to say everything's going to be all right in the end, or a comforter in our culture could be a a dummy, a a soother in the mouth of a baby, or a, a, a blanket that it may have to comfort it. That's not the idea here at all. In fact, the original Greek uh, sorry, English word made made up of two uh, compounds, comfortus in Latin, with strength. The idea is a giving of strength, empowerment, uh, and encouragement. Someone said the promise is no lullaby for the faint-hearted. It is a blood transfusion for courageous living. This is more than just a pat on the back saying, there, there, it's going to be okay. This is actually an infusion of power and vitality. That's what the Holy Spirit's come to do. Do you need encouragement? Boy, do we need encouragement at this particular time in our history. Do you need strength? Are you weak mentally, emotionally, physically? The Holy Spirit is the one who, Jesus said, the paraclete, the paracletos, one who comes alongside and lifts up. He will come alongside and lift you up and help you through this life. Then we see from this passage that he's also an indweller. Jesus said to the disciples that the Holy Spirit was with them, but he would come to be within them. And that's the difference. We look at that perhaps in our next installment at how the Holy Spirit operated in the Old Testament. But he's no longer just with or just coming upon uh, the saints of God. He's coming to live in them. And that was God's objective throughout all uh, history and redemption plan. uh, To dwell with but in his people. And we now are the temples of the Holy Spirit. He's an encourager, strengthener, and dweller. And verse 26 of this same chapter shows us that he is a teacher. Um, But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I have said to you. He's a teacher, if you like, you could call him a remembrancer. And you remember that the, the, the disciples didn't get everything that Jesus taught them in the three or so years they walked with Jesus on the earth. The penny didn't drop in a lot of truth. It was imparted to them until Pentecost, until the Holy Spirit came, because he's the teacher, the one who comes alongside. Now, we're not disparaging the gift of the teacher to the church. We believe there's fivefold ministry, apostles, prophets, pastors, evangelists, and teachers found in Ephesians. And we're saying that this is a valued gift of Christ to the church. But we've got to understand that you don't need some kind of guru to tell you what God wants you to know. In fact, 
In 1 John chapter 2, verse 27, in response to false teachers who were coming in, Gnostics, and saying there's a special class of people who have communication from God that other people don't have, a special knowledge, gnosis, and therefore you can't all know what God's saying. You've got to rely on us, guys. John, in response to that, said, But the anointing which you have received from him abides in you, and you do not need anyone to teach you. But as the same anointing teaches you concerning all things, and is true, and is not a lie, and just as it is taught you, you will abide in him. In other words, you've got the Holy Spirit to teach you yourself. Now, it's not to say we, we can't receive instruction from leaders, or there's not this Holy Spirit gift and spirit of gift of Christ to the church and the teachers and pastors but it's saying that we've got the Holy Spirit to lead and guide us individually isn't that wonderful in John 15 we see something else in verse 26 but when the helper comes Jesus says I shall send to you from the Father the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father he will testify of me now there we see the Godhead the mystery of the Trinity Jesus said previously the Father would send the spirit now he's saying he's sending the spirit this is the point I want you to see the spirit testifies of Christ he is a testifier and when we go to chapter 16 and verse 13 and 15 through 15 we see this elaborated however when he the spirit of truth has come he will guide you he's also a guide into all truth for he will not speak on his own authority but whatever he hears he will speak and he will tell you things to come he's a revealer of things to come he will glorify me for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you all things that the father has are mine therefore i said that he will take of mine and declare it to you so you see what's going on here he's a guide you need guidance holy spirit can guide you he's a revealer do you need revelation holy spirit can reveal things to you but i want you to see he's a reflector he testifies of christ he reveals christ and as someone put it the purpose of the holy spirit was to glorify jesus every day from his ascension to his second coming that's why the holy spirit was given to glorify jesus from he went to heaven till he returns in his second advent He's a bit like the man in the rafters of the theatre shining the spotlight down on the prime actor. He's not taking the limelight, but he's the one who operates the light to shine on, on the hero of the story, if you like. And that's what the Holy Spirit is, is in, his, in his role. He shows Christ to us, that's revelation, but he also forms Christ in us, conformation to the image of Christ. So the surest way to get the Spirit's attention is to make much of Jesus. I don't think the Holy Spirit's bashful. Sometimes we get that impression when we talk about his role of uh, testifying to Jesus. He's not shy. And uh, that idea perhaps is conveyed to us um, a little bit through the dove imagery of the Spirit that he's kind of timid. But don't forget there are other images of the Holy Spirit. There's the figure of a a rushing mighty wind. There's the figure of fire. Our God is a consuming fire. Remember, Holy Spirit is co-equal with with the Father and the Son. He's one substance. And as such, he must be worshipped and adored and made much of, but not at the expense of Jesus. He is reticent to take the limelight because he knows what his role is. He's not sheesh or introverted, but he wants to glorify the Son of God. Now look at uh, John 16, verse 7 
through 8 we see something else of his character, what his job is as well. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is for your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, Jesus says, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin, of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin because they do not believe in me. Of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more. Of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. Something else. He's your approver and a convincer. Now if we want the Spirit's companionship in our ministry and churches, we have to follow the Spirit's agenda and program. Are we doing that? What is that? One, make much of Christ. Two, proclaim forgiveness of sins because of the cross. Because he has gone to the Father, he can convince the world of their sin, judgment and righteousness. But through faith in him, they can be justified. Preach Christ, preach forgiveness of sins, point out that if they do not believe, there is no forgiveness. That is the unpardonable sin, by the way. To sin against the Spirit's witness to Jesus Christ as a sacrifice for sins. That cannot be forgiven. If you don't believe in Jesus, you're condemned already. But we proclaim justification by faith because he's gone to the Father via the cross, the empty tomb. He's glorified. And we've got to also proclaim the defeat of Satan. That's part of God's agenda. Of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. Notice it doesn't say that sinners are judged yet. Jesus didn't come into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And we're not living in a period of judgment. We're living in a period of grace. But a day of judgment is coming. And we can proclaim that Satan has been judged. And at the cross, Jesus spoiled principalities and powers and made a show of them openly, triumphing over them through his cross. But we have to beware of following Satan in his ways. Otherwise, we will be judged. Now, that's the message we need to be preaching. It's a message of the gospel. Is that what we're preaching? If we want the Holy Spirit to come down, we need to preach this glorious message of the cross, resurrection, ascension of Jesus, the outpouring of the Spirit, and the forgiveness of sins as possible. Something more. 1 Corinthians 12 through 14. He is a gifter. And we'll spend uh, maybe two installments on the gifts of the Spirit, or more, depending on how far we get through. He's a gifter. Also, he's a fruit bearer, Ephesians 5, sorry, Galatians 5, 22, 23. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, meekness, faith, self-control. These are the fruit of the Spirit, his life in us. They aren't works, they're fruit, evidence of life. He's also a baptizer. In Acts chapter 1, verse 5, John baptized with water, Jesus says, but you shall be baptized not many days from now with the Holy Spirit. He's an empower, Acts 1 verse 8. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the world. He's a filler. Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost, verse 4 it says, And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. This is not for select few or for apostles, prophets, pastors, missionaries, teachers, evangelists and the heroes of the faith. This is for every child of God. This is for you, your children, your children's children, to all that the Lord our God shall call. It's for everyone to be filled with the Spirit. He's also a non-discriminator. And I love this. When Peter quotes Joel chapter 2 to explain what's going on, he says to them on the day of Pentecost, it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I'll pour out my Spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall see visions. Your young men shall see visions, your old men shall dream dreams. And on my men servants and my maid servants I will pour out my spirit in those days and they shall prophesy. There's no discrimination of race. On all flesh the spirit will be poured. That's still happening. Still to be fulfilled completely. There's no distinction of sex. 
It's upon sons and daughters, men and maidservants. They can prophesy, uh, all of them. There's no distinction of age. Your sons and your daughters, your young men, your old men. Isn't that wonderful? Even children can receive the Holy Spirit and move in the Holy Spirit, as someone once said. And there is no junior Holy Spirit. And then we see in verse 18, he's also a prophesier. They shall prophesy. And it's the Holy Spirit prophesying, revealing things to come through us. And finally, verse 21, he's a rescuer or a saver. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. We'll spend a an episode looking at the work of the Holy Spirit, but it's the Holy Spirit that applies the the work of Christ on the cross in salvation to our lives directly. He saves people. Let me show you something else in Revelation chapter 1, and this particularly relates to the church. In Revelation chapter 1, we see the vision that John receives of the glorified, risen Lord Jesus. In verse 1, at verse 4 of chapter 1, it says, John to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come from the seven spirits who are before his throne. Seven spirits? I didn't know there were seven Holy Spirits. They're not seven Holy Spirits. If you want to look at Isaiah chapter 11, you'll get a clue into why it says seven here. It's reflecting seven characteristics of the Holy Spirit. But this is the point I want you to see. The seven spirits representing the Holy Spirit are situated before the throne of God, which is the position of an administrator or a courtier who will go and execute the rule and reign of the king at his orders. And what we see here is that the Holy Spirit is an administrator of Christ's rule, his headship in the church. In other words, the the Holy Spirit is the vicar of Christ on the earth today who carries out Jesus' business as the head of the body. And what we see in this vision in Revelation is there's... No other body, board, or individual between Christ and his people. You see Christ moving as a a judge priest among the lampstands, the seven lampstands representing the seven churches of Asia Minor, and there's nothing between him and his churches. He's, He's intimately and directly dealing with them. Now, this is all exemplified in the book of Acts. I want you to see Acts 8, the Holy Spirit speaks to Philip and tells him to go alongside a chariot, verse 29, and speak to the Ethiopian eunuch. Holy Spirit still speaks today. But he was directing where they should preach, where they should evangelize. We see it the same in Acts chapter 10, 19 through 20. Peter is told to go down and meet the men at the door who would take him to Cornelius' house. The Holy Spirit is directing them where to preach. But the Holy Spirit also directs them where not to preach. If you look at Acts chapter 16, verse 6 and 7, you will see there that the Holy Spirit prevented the apostles going into a certain area to preach. And then the Holy Spirit gave them a, a dream, the Macedonian call, a man asking for help to open a door. But it was the Holy Spirit who was directing them where to preach, where not to preach, but also who to preach. Who should preach? Who should lead in the church? Um, And we see that in Acts 13, verse 1 and 2, as they waited upon God with prayer and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, he speaks, he's still in the business of speaking, God didn't write a book and lose his voice. And so um, the the Holy Spirit speaks and says, separate Saul and Barnabas from among you for the work of ministry which I have called them to. We see in Acts 20 and verse 28 that Paul says to the Ephesian elders that the Holy Spirit made overseers So I want to ask the question today, who runs our churches? Is it men or is it God? And how do they run our churches? 
Now, God uses human instrumentality. God uses ability. God uses gifts. We know that. We understand that. But we must always ensure that we are dependent on the Spirit's ministry. How did that happen in the early church? Well, a clue is given here in Acts 13, verses 1 and 2 that I alluded to. The fact that the apostles in the early church were always prostrate on their faces before God, praying and fasting and seeking the Spirit's direction. And I think that is something that we've lost, generally speaking, in the church today. We need to get back to total reliance on the Holy Spirit. Not business acumen, not our own experience or theological doctrinal training. All those things may be helpful in ways, but they are not the primary qualification of knowing that the the, the church is going the right direction. Rather, it is to be utterly dependent on the Holy Spirit of God and to be hearing his voice. Now listen, if the sinless Son of God was totally reliant on the Holy Spirit to fulfill God's will for his life, and he was, and the early church was dependent on the Holy Spirit for the divine program of heaven, how much more do we need to understand and depend on the Spirit in our own lives? The Holy Spirit is a divine being, and therefore we need to cultivate his friendship and welcome his fellowship in our lives and in our churches. How have you related to the Holy Spirit up until now? As a person? What do you think may have prevented you relating to the Holy Spirit as a a person or a companion? And what steps from today will you take to cultivate more of an intimacy with the Holy Spirit? And if you're a leader in a church, what definitive and practical evidence is there in your church that the Holy Spirit is directing proceedings? And what could you do to implement to ensure he is given his rightful place in the church? Lord, we thank you for the Holy Spirit, Father, that you sent him in Jesus' name. And beloved, blessed Holy Spirit, we welcome you into our lives that we might learn to live with you, abide in you and you in us, but actually that we may cultivate your companionship and friendship every day of our lives. And may you reveal to us your characteristics as we've seen in Scripture as a person, Forgive us for neglecting you and ignoring you and help us to learn to walk with you every day of our lives for the glory of Jesus. Reveal him to us and conform us into his image. In his beautiful name we pray. Amen. God bless you and see you soon.